Hello, and welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all the animated and live-action entries in the Lupin the Third franchise in, mostly, chronological order, and this is our weekly reaction series to Part 6, Ladies' Night, and tonight we are covering Episode 21, whose title I should have had in my notes <laughs> just now realized something something mermaid you know something bubbles <laughs> yeah. something things you do like while trapped in one place i couldn't imagine a life like that yeah me neither <laughs> <laughs> and the actual title is welcome to the island of bubbles so there we go there we yeah go. there we go written we by uh, Written by Tomoko Shinozuka and translated by, I guess we can say now, a friend of the show, Ian. Ian. Um, and <laughs> tonight we have a very special guest, and I will hand it over to Natalie to introduce our guest. Oh, yeah, and also I'm Drew before we introduce our guest. That, that, we should probably get <laughs> the main jerks out of the way. <laughs> Bring on the guest jerks afterward. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think you answered your own question there man <laughs> that's chris and of course i'm natalie and i'm super excited to introduce our special guest because um you know again with lupon the third i have a constant coming to jesus moment that like without lupon i wouldn't study history i wouldn't study opera um and i wouldn't have had the friends that I have today, legit, if it isn't for this special person, I probably wouldn't be on this podcast, let alone travel to Switzerland and even travel to Florida. <laughs> um, but I'm happy to introduce my dearest friend whom I met almost 20 years now next year on fanfiction.net, Lucy. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Hi, thank you so much. <laughs> And yeah, I can't believe next year it'll be 20 years. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah, two decades. My gosh. How, how time flies by. Um, our and our friendship will be legally allowed to drink in two years. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's true. <laughs> and as customary, whenever we have a new guest on the show, um, why don't you tell us how you got into Lupin? Okay. I got into Lupin because my dad took me to car shows. Um, <laughs> let me explain a little bit about that. I was 10 years old, excited, had small hands that could carry lots of things at car shows, which was wonderful for my father. And he enjoyed classic car shows. So I was a night owl. And one night I'm skimming adult swim about 2002, 2003. And I see a program that has classic cars. And I'm like, oh my God, I actually really like these. And I watch more. It has comedy it has music I like. I was hooked. Um, my first episode was Little Princess of Darkness, if I recall correctly. And <laughs> not long after that, I started looking through fan fiction, which I had been a fan of since I was about 12, 13 years old. And I started looking on fan fiction net and I wanted in. So I started <laughs> writing Lupin the Third um, fan fiction in around 2003. And I still write it today. I'm on a little bit of a hiatus due to um, I'm in a graduate program right now. And I'm actually doing my graduate thesis on queer expression through fan fiction, reading and writing. 
So my life is basically uh, one Mobius strip. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't believe I went this far with proving my parents wrong when they said, my God, (laughs) why are you up all night doing this instead of homework? It is my homework now, Mom. I win. (laughs) (laughs) No, she was really supportive in all seriousness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's just, it's very weird Mm -hmm. that it came full circle like that. And I made a lot of friends through it. And yeah, I've been in weddings because of Lupin. I've traveled because of Lupin. um, And it led to my graduate program even, which is very bizarre, but true. So, So you have the coming to Jesus moment too sometimes. Yeah, all the time. Um, It's just one of those very weird butterfly effect things where I just happened to be watching one show and I grew up watching samurai movies and gangster movies and Columbo and Murder, She Wrote and things like this. So it had all these perfect elements uh, of things I just grown up loving, you know, and then I'm like, oh, is there any more of it? And boy, was there ever. Mm-hmm. And the fact we get TV series now, because, um, God, I could go on about this on a, a different tangent. I'm sorry. Um, the fact we get new episodes now is so cool to me because like back in 2004, 2005, it would be, you had a friend who had a DVD burner. You'd go down to the post office, mail them some episodes. They'd mail you some back. It was very mystery science theater where you kept the tapes rolling, yeah. kept the tapes circulating for a and while. And we were in on that. We were in on that. Yeah. Because I oh, yeah. I was the friend who had the, who, you know, spoiled only child whose mom and dad gave them a lot of pocket money, bought the DVDs, had the DVD burner, and was like, yeah. my my friend can't get these episodes, I'm going to send it to them. So, so we were like, we were the bootleggers of that time. And <laughs> I I'd was be there, on Frodo. Wire. Yeah, I'd be on oh, LiveWire finding the soundtracks, which ages <laughs> me perfectly right there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah (laughs) yeah so welcome to the welcome to the show and it's it's funny it's a good coincidence that we have you on here because this episode holy shit this episode um oh boy (laughs) it's it it's funny because you and i can relate to it on some level with um the girl of the week um muru i think her name was um yes muru or meru Okay. I think it was Muru because it's M U R U. Muru, yeah. sorry. Yes. Yeah, we could totally relate to that that character. On it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, before we get talking about the episode, I want to say I was aware of our guest long before I actually met her online. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it uh, surprises me. People know me. But like. <laughs> Uh, you had a webcomic at one point, right? I did, yes. Okay, I think I remember encountering that early on in my fandom. Um, I think I also remember seeing uh, some of your posts on the old uh, Yahoo group. Yeah, I was on the Yahoo group. I was active on yeah. there. Um, I was and, there when um, Gerald Mullen popped up because they were right. wanting to do an American Lupin movie. He is um, one of the producers um, who worked on Schindler's List, and he was looking huh. to get some info on that. And he popped up randomly and like, no one believed it was him at first. And then it turned out to be him. And we're all like, oh my God, what? (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, thank God that terrible idea for a lot for American live action Lupin film never came to fruition. Um, 
but I forgot that was I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> I think it could work still. I mean, it, yeah. it kind of did like you know eight years earlier with Hudson Hawk. Yeah, it kind of did I, now I, with um. I will defend that movie. It's great. Okay, it's, it's not great. But I like it a lot. <laughs> I grew up with that movie too, which also led me to live. Oh, My great. mom's a big Bruce Willis stan. Um, I'd say. <laughs> Nice. I'd say Ryan Reynolds um just had a movie for Netflix. Oh, uh, yes. Red Notice. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that your mom is a diehard Bruce Willis fan? I'd say so, yes. All right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um yeah, uh Red Notice. I'm like, wow, this is the Lupin movie I always wanted and have deserved. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to see that movie. Maybe I'll do that, that after class tonight. Nice. Also, full disclosure, Drew got a new puppy. So if you hear a lot of like him wrestling with a puppy, not like actual wrestling, but like taking care of a puppy. Wrangling. That's what that is. Also say hello, Wrangling. Heidi. Chloe, what are you doing? She wants to play with her sister. I know. Well, she wants to play until I set Heidi down. And then when Heidi starts biting at her, she starts like coming to me like, help, help. I'm just kind of like, you asked for it. <laughs> And she is legitimately your sister, so deal with it. Don't be biting me. All right, so to uh, kick off our roundtable discussion, as per usual, Heidi, sit over there. Uh, Lucy, (laughs) how did you feel about this episode? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I thought it was a great love letter. That being said, I had some moments where, like, the dialogue, I, I told you guys this before we recorded, had me curled up like an embarrassed little shrimp. (laughs) Um, (laughs) just because it was like oh gosh but i thought it was lovely because to me like with fandom and stuff it's cool to see fandom supported and to me you saw like where this character they're like yeah we'll play along it was like um i don't know if you guys watch euphoria but they just had something come up with fan fiction Hmm. and that was kind of laughing at yeah it was like a harry styles louis tomlinson slash fiction thing but that kind of felt like fan fiction getting kind of laughed at Mm -hmm. this is laughing with it where it's like you kind of have um this bored kid she doesn't have a lot to do except make stories about like characters in town and it's kind of a wish fulfillment on her part Mm -hmm. and i thought it was like a really sweet take on wish fulfillment and i also like that it reminded me of um a couple of episodes of another couple of shows I like, uh, Samurai Jack episode 13, Aku's Fairy Tales. Oh. And um, the New Adventures of Batman episode 19, where you have like the kids telling the stories about Batman. Yeah. Legends of the and, Dark Knight. That's, that's a good, a good one. one. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have like this really unique take, I think, where it's someone who um, sees these characters as a part of their life and it's a different kind of angle and it gives kind of a different feel, which I thought was neat. And um, those episodes, like when I was watching this, it kind of reminded me of that. So I thought it was just a really sweet take on a fan character on a character. Who's a fan. That being said, like Jigen Fujiko, like that just had me cackling. Um <laughs> I, I loved the guys all playing along with it. I thought that was really sweet. Um, I like how into it Jigen got, especially because he's like tipping his hat at the end. Like, yeah, great. And Goemon's kind of like, okay. And he has like the Kenji Miyazawa kind of references going like, um, you know, Galaxy Express, like um, Midnight Express. I can't think of the name. Midnight Express is a cowboy movie. 
but just some cool references there. But I, I liked it overall, but the dialogue is like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very spot on. So I, I thought it was a very loving tribute to, um, you know, fans <laughs> and how they fans. express that love. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, Natalie, how did you feel about the episode? Practically the same. I mean, it is one of my favorite one-offs of part six. Um, but my own, I mean, I, I, I understand some people's issue with like, oh, it's not a Lupin episode because there's no heist. But again, I'm one of those proponents of you could do any story with Lupin provided you have the characters. And yes, while Zenigata wasn't there for this episode, I do think I agree with with Lucy that it, it, it very much is a love letter to fandom because mm-hmm. I could relate to the girl of the week, Muru, and how I mean, yeah, I live in an area that is pretty exciting. But when you're like 12, 13 years old, don't have your own car, let alone your parents are like, you, you can't go out, you stay at home. And like I did, I wrote stories. My other favorite yeah. thing was always to go to like the San Leandro Marina and just sit on the park with my notebook and kind of start writing stories for people. Like, oh, these people are meeting because they're on a date. Oh, this family's having a party. And this girl is essentially doing that, but with the Lupin gang to the point where it's comedic because she just assumes this bearded guy is coming up to this lady and then this <laughs> samurai is coming up to this lady and there's like a love triangle involved. And oh, I think Lord, you made like, astronomy student and musician, ma'am. Yeah, oh a, a musician and an astronomy student and this monkey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh Lord. But just like you, Kate and Lucy, I had this like freaking cringe moments with some of the dialogue, especially when it got to the point where the with the boys are performing these scenes yes. and going on being a romantic and oh lord and non-secular but Lucy Jigen was wearing the white suit yeah there's context <laughs> to that and like I, I felt another finger on the monkey paw curl um <laughs> Because <laughs> this is in re- this is in regards to her fan fiction, and I was yeah. like, "Oh God, I hope she's watching this and just dying." <laughs> That's about the part where I started yelling. Um, <laughs> and I live with six other people, so they think I like you know. You died. <laughs> yeah, it was like that overdraw my bank account kind of scream. Oh, everything was God. okay. Um, <laughs> but it was so cute. I, it was I mean, adorable. Even my favorite, my favorite, honestly, is Lupin's line where he says, I love you in French, Spanish, um, <laughs> uh, Mandarin, and I can't, I think probably Thai. I, I could be yeah. wrong what the last language was, but it's just, it's super sweet. It's very, very funny. And thank you, TMS, for validating fans. <laughs> I, I feel validated now. <laughs> and, and bless Boudreaux for playing along and being cool with it. Oh, bless her for looking like Ariel from The Little Mermaid. So, yeah, <laughs> bless. <laughs> so, so Natalie, does this mean you forgive TMS for stealing your fanfic for the last few episodes? Uh, I, we'll have to wait and see until that conclusion comes <laughs> up. But <laughs> baby steps, baby steps, right? <laughs> baby steps, yes, baby steps. <laughs> so, Chris, how did you feel about this episode? Yes, dear. I think I liked it. Um, honestly, it kind of reminded me of something from part three. Mm. You know, just like just like the way the story plays out and all that. I 
it, it felt you know very much like a part three kind of episode. Um, I guess part of my, I guess like the really only issues I have with it is the presentation. Like some of the gags, like especially near the end, feel very anime. Yeah. Like like mm-hmm. especially like when like when Fujiko slaps Lupin out of that bottle. It's like you know, that's, that's that's not something I expected to see in this series. Like that's what I always like about Lupin the Third is that it's inspired more by you know Western cartoons than it is anime. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's kind of a problem I have part six in general. But yeah, I mean, I I found myself laughing out loud several times. I swear, I actually had things to say before I before we started recording. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, definitely not my favorite episode of part six so far, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was good. Yeah, that's because your favorite episode is the long take episode. <laughs> exactly. I mean- it, that, that's a tough act to follow. It is. Agreed. Part six has just been so weird. Nope. Nope. Well, my puppy's not chewing on my fingers. I'm going to try to give my reaction to this episode. I mean, well, real, real quick before you do, um, Lucy, I do have a question. Um, yeah. Because, you know, our other previous guests have talked about their personal feelings with part six. And since you are, you know, this is your first time on here, what would be your personal feelings about part six so far? Oh, man. Um, part six in general, I feel it's like written at two different times. It's very weird because it feels like two different series. Mm-hmm. There's the Sherlock half and then there's this half. And the Sherlock half, I, I feel like on par with a lot of people where there was a lot of potential and build up for that. But I think some of that was on me. Like, I had a lot of buildup in my mind of how it would go because it's like, oh, my God, Sherlock Holmes, you know? So mm-hmm. I think they had a a lot of pressure there. You know what I mean? I, I think there was a lot of pressure, like, because they were finally meeting. Um, I think there was definitely some unevenness in the first half of part six. That being said, I think there were some really amazing episodes. I mean, Darwin's bird terrified oh. me. And I don't scare easily. Like, I go to bed watching Nightmare on Elm Street. That was my yeah. night last night. And that was just unsettling it. And I still have that in the back of my mind that, oh, my God, this series has potential for horror. Lupin's mm-hmm. a very bizarre series because it can be anything. Like, the only other series I could think of with this kind of breadth is probably Scooby-Doo. But that's a yeah. whole other story. Mm-hmm. Um, Darwin's Bird just opened up a whole can of worms, like, of the potential of the series. I'm really liking the second half a lot more in terms of evenness and the filler doesn't feel like as much filler. It feels a lot more fun. Like the filler for the first half. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just want to see how the Holmes arc gets back. Um, that being said, I think they're underutilizing Zenigata a lot. I like that. We're seeing more Yada and I see, I think we're seeing some natural progressions of the characters, um, in the 21st century where you're getting Goyamon as more, um, family centric like found family with the gang you're getting jigen um they're kind of getting away from the onegarai um character he had going for a while especially in the 70s which was like a portrayal of like the the cow the more misogynistic cowboy Mm -hmm. in like the 70s you're seeing that kind of get away get away from if you notice um and you're seeing fujiko more integrated within the group which i think is all really good Mm-hmm. moves for the characters um so overall i'm really liking the second half a lot more i like whenever anything lupon happens <laughs> just because <laughs> so many years up until the woman called fujiko bine i would get maybe one special a year 
and hopefully it was good. You know, knock, so knock, I just feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. Um, <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, li- I like that energy. I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm like so happy. It's like, all right, I get something else. <laughs> it's like 2005 to like 2014, man. Like it was rough to be a fan. Yeah, we were there. You, me, and Chris, we were there, Frodo. Like, yeah, because <laughs> the fact I have part three on Blu ray is insane to me. The fact I have like new dubs with this cast I love blows my freaking mind. You know, I'm wondering like who I signed a blood pact with and like. <laughs> I don't have any children yet, but I fully expect, like, if I'm ever holding that firstborn, like, a demon to rise up and be like, this is how Epcar got more work. <laughs> you know, um... <laughs> I think there was a, a, a just a very low night in, like, 2008 where I might have, like, made a, a, a pact with a demon somewhere. And now my cup floweth over. So, it's not perfect. I think that's with anything. If I have any notes, the CGI cars kind of kill me, but that's even gotten better. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel spoiled after the CGI movie because that was so cool. Um, and that's a hard act to follow, too. Mm. I think they've had a lot of tough acts to follow. And that's really been hard on them. But I'm just happy for new stuff. And I think overall, it's been really good. I feel like that's not really a you know, much of an issue. It's like, you know, like the problem is that everything else before this had just been too, had just been too good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird problem. It's like, you know, if everything before this was worse, this might be better. Yeah. <laughs> but like the CGI movie was great. I like watched oh, that was. so I many times that the, the, the Koiki stuff is like not perfect, but beautiful. No, it's, oh it's my real. gosh. The fact we have Lupin in two different timelines existing while we have dubs happening and releases of movies on Blu-ray just chef's kiss yeah a demon's gonna steal my a demon's gonna come collect my child i made a pact somewhere you're all welcome thank you for thank you for your sacrifice no i'm also thank pretty you. sure i i sold my soul to the devil but you know a lawyer came up and was like uh didn't you sell your soul in 2009 for taria tickets i'm like eh, yeah whatever it's on lease <laughs> um but drew what was your opinions about um this week's episode let's see i thought this episode heidi don't eat the headphone cord all right okay so (laughs) i thought this episode was adorable like like um my thoughts going into this um this was and not not for the content of the episode itself and I, i have to separate my feelings two different ways because this was the least enthused I have been for a part six episode solely because I just really want to see what's going on with the main story and the one-offs kind of being yeah. piled on immediately afterwards. Like wasn't something I was super crazy about, but setting that aside and judging the episode on its own merit, I, I, I kind of enjoyed this one. as just like a little fun side story. I know Chris mentioned it something like a part three episode, but it also kind of, I don't know, and I could be off base, but it kind of had like a part two episode. Like, you know, one of those, one of those weird part two episodes, that just is kind of a bizarre tangent and then comes back to it. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I loved Muru and her, <laughs> her imagination with, with specifically, 
I love that Daisuke Namikawa and Akio Otsuka got to deliver some of the most like wonderfully over the top <laughs> and eye-rolling dialogue that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> like that whole thing where it's um what was I forgot it's at the end when, when, when they like when they get into like their whole characters and Goemon does that whole thing about like you know on a clear night I shall illuminate you with the stars in the sky and all this stuff. And you're like this is. This dude was just yeah. doing Goemon's blood spray like two years ago, being like, if you wiggle a finger, <laughs> I'll kill you. And then you jump straight to that. I want to do a supercut of that moment spliced directly with his like speech at the end. But I don't know, just like, again, as a fun little side tangent episode, it, it, it was fun to just kind of see like the Lupin gang through the perspective of like this kid with a really big, very wild imagination and like, her like perception of Jigen talking to Fuchiko is like, oh, he's you know he's the uh, he's the he, like you know he's he's the Monsieur who's like you know wooing the Madame. Like, I wonder how long it's been. And meanwhile, like the it, like comes to the actual dialogue, he's like, you freaking tell me yeah. you're like you want to take seventy percent of the cut. What's wrong with you? And she's like, uh. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> yeah, like a very like fifteen years into the marriage talk. <laughs> exactly which it basically it basically is at this point it's 50 yeah. years into the marriage so yeah. jigen just coming up to fujiko like bitch really 70 percent is nothing new <laughs> uh, i've i already mentioned it but like i i love the little bits of characterization like i i i i i, I could mm-hmm. imagine someone saying like you know it's it's out of character for him to do it, but I don't know. I find something is very funny about the fact of Lupin, Goemon, and Jigen being given, like, you know, these these romantic fanfics, very earnest fanfics by, you know, someone who's yeah. been watching them and then genuinely, like, getting into Because, like, you know, Goemon's a little nervous at first, but they're not, like, jerks about it. Like, they actually get no. into it and they have a lot of fun with it. And it it, it, it was just wholesome. And that's what I mean about the laughing with, as opposed to the laughing at, mm-hmm. you know, because oh, I think yeah. it very easily could have been laughing at this kid, mm-hmm. but there's yeah. just such an earnestness like, hey, well, I'll play along with it. I thought that was really cool. And that's what made mm-hmm. the episode for me. It wasn't very cynical mm-hmm. or anything or mean spirited. Mm-hmm. And it could have been easily. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been proven time again that the boys are very kind to children. Mm -hmm. Um, But there, but there, there have been moments where, like, yes, they're they're nice to children, but they're still kind of like minuscule, minusculely (laughs) um, assholes. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm thinking of some episodes about Part Three, mainly the one where like all these kids are coming up to um, Lupin and Jigen, like Daddy, and it's like what? (laughs) Um, But. Yeah, they they weren't they weren't like no kid. We are not going to do this. This is fucking ridiculous. No, they mm-hmm. they played along. They were sweet about yeah. it. They got very in character, and it was adorable. So, mm-hmm. thank you, Lupin gang. <laughs> and and like I also bought into it a little more because like it it, it, it you add the fact that like. If they would have just immediately showed up, I could see them being too frustrated to, like, play along because, like, the car just broke down. But I love how you got, like, this aspect of, like, we're in this town, not much is happening. They're like, hey, this looks fun. Yeah. You know what? Let's just roll with it. And, like, um, I also, I also, because, Natalie, you brought up earlier how this isn't, you know, so, some people have complained that it's not, like, you know, a Lupin episode. You know, I, 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 would, mm-hmm. I would challenge people that have that notion because... 
I mean, pretty much at the end, there is technically an attempt at a heist because even though it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, for playing for show, uh, Lupin, Jigen, and Goemon are attempting, you know, to uh, attempting to steal Fujiko's harp, you know, at, at the Mermaid's Rim area. So you could technically, you know, if you, if you wanted to categorize this as a heist, you could call this, you know, the Mermaid's Rim job. Uh, <laughs> I don't get why? it. Can you explain it some more, sir? <laughs> <laughs> No, you, Good night, you everybody. 12, <laughs> you are twelve years old. What is this? Hey, I was proud of that pun. <laughs> you know, I probably shouldn't be. Okay, I sh- I shouldn't say shit because two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I did call this 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 un this you know not us getting conclusion to the Tomoe storyline edging. So I really need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Um, but I also, I, I, once again, appreciated the little touches of uh, Ian's translation in here. I love how the fishermen, the fishermen speak like, you know, we're fishing for the mermaid. Like, it's like, for is fur. And also, mm-hmm. Jigen, at the end, once again, getting a killer line. Um, uh, I guess Jigen's not much of a fan of uh, of Huey Lewis in the news. Romance? Because uh, according to him, the power of love can't do jack shit. So... <laughs> That's Which a good is, again, another great grumpy line from Jigen. A very, very in-character one, because oh, yeah. I can't see... I'm waiting for that to be dubbed, and I can't see uh, Richard Epcard just saying that. Love can't do jack shit. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I'm just like, I don't know about you guys, but when it, if and when they do dub part six, I cannot wait to hear mm-hmm. this episode being dubbed. Happy. I'm excited for this one. Oh, yes. We know which one I'm excited for. I know which one you're excited for, <laughs> but just think about it. Lex Lang as very, bass Oh my God. Not, yeah. Not necessarily <laughs> monotone, but just very base and how he performs going on mm-hmm. having to do these lines. Oh Lord. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lucy for the blood pact. <laughs> you're welcome. going to be delightful. <laughs> <laughs> This this is just a fun little note because this episode was really cute and 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 I love you know the non the non like you know the whole non cynical aspect. I'm trying to figure out other things to bring up in it. One thing I I kind of noticed that was really cute touch was um the little scene where Goemon and Jigen are playing cards as as Lupin is trying to talk as uh, Fujiko is talking to Lupin about you know the actual story story of the mermaid fish. Goemon just turns and has this just he's not this look of he's just not having it which I thought was a nice little touch of animation but also yeah. I like the little continuity of them playing with the uh, the uh, the gangs all here card playing strategy cards from part one which appeared in the first part of this arc mm-hmm. and showed up again which was like right, a nice right. little touch best episode of part one too what gets me though is I've seen Lupin shot set on fire arrow through him whatever a car knocks him out for three days. Dude's getting older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's a mood there. <laughs> I mean, like, like he really is though, because I'm not. I don't know if I've mentioned on the po- on the show before, but I've noticed that the way Lupin's face is drawn, yeah, you know, you know, you know he does look visibly older, which I think mm-hmm. is my touch. Yeah, no, nobody else does, but Lupin does at least. I'd say Jigen in some points. Oh yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, they're all getting older, obviously, but like yeah. the yeah. ones who are showing it more are Jigen and Lupin. I'd say even Fujiko like looks more mature when you like compare her to other women, yeah. other mm-hmm. female characters. You know, on that note, 
once again, I really like what part six is doing with Fuchiko. Mm. Yes. Like I, oh my it, goodness. It, yeah. it, it's like every time she gets you know, the focus of an episode, it's it's usually really good. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode's no exception, you know, because uh you know, our our girl of the week, you know, you know, she's focusing mainly on Fujiko and her interactions with the guys and and really through no action of her own, Fujiko still manages to take the focus of the episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it highlights how well she works with kids too. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well uh, yeah, we were actually talking about that with the Amelia episode. Like mm-hmm. um and and back to our back to our fan fiction uh Lucy because you know my stories, I know yours. And my one of my favorite things writing for Fujiko is Fujiko as a mom or just Fujiko around kids because I do yeah. feel like while she will only love and like her own kids, she is not terrible with kids. She is very like sweet and, you know, understanding, doesn't talk down to them. I mean, even like, I think my favorite scene in this episode was before, um, I think it was when, after the reveal of Fujiko being the mermaid, um, mm-hmm. you see the flashback of Muru giving um, Fujiko the tea. And with the cute translation, what is this for, sweetie? And I'm like, oh, that's so cute. She has very mm-hmm. good big sister energy to her. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I love Fujiko. Um, yeah. But speaking of, like, love and romance, I also love Lupin for, um, well, comically, you know, he's trying to catch the mermaid with a big old net, whereas <laughs> Jigen and Goemon are fishing. Yeah. <laughs> but when he comes into conversation with Muru, he has this adorable talk, and we've and we we've, we've all heard these talks and and movies, um, TV shows, whatever, of love, and him just talking to a kid about love is just oh, tugged at my heartstrings yeah. a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that 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 was a cute little moment. Yeah, I liked how well they captured like sleepy fishing town because um, I'm in Florida, and we have two things: we have a Greek fishing village. And we have a um, attraction known as Wiki Wachi where you see mermaids. That's been around since 1947. So <laughs> I thought that was very cool. I'm like, I, I know what it is to live in a place where they up like the mermaid mm-hmm. kind of vibe. So I thought that was really neat as someone who's from like those beachside towns. And to like be in a quiet place like that where you're just like making mm-hmm. up stories. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It it, was, it very much reminded me of like um it you know, um, again always me talking about my trip. But when I was on my way to Switzerland on the flight, I or I think when I, when I was coming back home, I watched Luca for the first time ever. Yeah, and and you know, like off tangent, but Luca and, and um the story of like sea monsters, it's very prevalent in in italy especially port towns like th- this whole myth of like sea monsters and there are there are other port towns in italy that have this myth of the mermaid and they do these motifs around it so it reminded me of especially when i visited my family in sicily it reminded me of like these southern italian um village um port villages that have these motifs and it, and yeah it also reminded me of florida it reminded me of tarpon springs a little yeah so. it reminded me of tarpon springs too where you even see the old guys fishing on the side there yeah. and they're just talking away <laughs> yeah lucy did take me there when i visited her back in 2019 i went for the i was there for the greek food but it was nice to see this community of like just old dudes fishing i'm like you know this is a vibe right here <laughs> yeah so they they very much got that fishing village vibe down which was mm-hmm. pretty neat. <laughs> it's adorable. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
where all you can do is fish and then here's this girl like i'm bored i'm gonna draw and write stories (laughs) gonna make friend (laughs) fiction and also fan art um you know well that's the thing wouldn't this be considered um uh famous people fiction because there are there is that community yeah that would be yeah so rpf Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Because I've I've written. I'm sad to admit that I've written only one RPF in my lifetime, and that was over the the lead the former lead singer for Camelot, Roy Kahn, and the current lead singer for the band Epica, Simone Simmons. Yes, they're married to different people, but their energy when they would do duets, I was like, they gotta be married. I'm gonna write this shit. <laughs> I've never done RPF, but I've been having to look into it a lot for my thesis um especially one direction oh Lord. and harry Styles stuff um, so hi i've been summoned that's my sister-in-law who's in one direction groupie surprise additional guest hi jess <laughs> i've oh met God. i've met her entire family so she but, was um, a- she was an hour away. I don't know when she got here. <laughs> but Lucy, you're not wrong because um, what is that one story after? After, after was is based on One Direction fan fiction. Yeah, yeah that was on Wattpad. Yeah, it's, it was basically filing the serial numbers off from Wattpad. So yeah, she's so. not wrong. Heck yeah, I'm like eyeing my Lupin fanfics. Like. <laughs> Gotta pay off some student loans, you know. I, sw- I swear to Christ, if I read a story by Lucy and I recognize the characters, because I, um, one of the things we did when we when we first physically met um, was she'd be driving and we'd be talking about Lupin and our Lupin fan fictions, and yeah. I knew, and I had as a, as a reader, I had more questions, and. It surprised her because she was like, I don't even remember. It's kind of like when you meet George R.R. R. Martin and he's surprised that <laughs> you know more about his stuff than he does. And he fucking wrote it. And if I find a book written by you and I recognize the plot points or the characters, I'm literally going to yell, this is just filing the serial numbers off of your Lupin fanfic. <laughs> oh, I did that for so many other fanfics um, and people who have read my other stuff. They're like, didn't you with? Yes. I've used the same character tropes for 20 years. <laughs> um, you caught me. Um, Miyazaki's done it with character designs for his women. I can get away with this. Um, yes. Uh, you're not wrong. But also with his tropes, too. He uses um, a lot of the same tropes. Yeah. But I, I don't know. That's another reason I thought, like, this story was sweet. I think fan fiction and, like, art like this comes from a place of wish fulfillment and mm-hmm. you have this kid who's like hungry for adventure and hungry for love and she's seeing like something finally interesting in her town and um she's kind of like putting her 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 desire for love off on these like strangers mm-hmm. you know and i thought that was really sweet because I, I i think there is a lot in fan fiction especially sometimes where it comes from a place of whether it's self-insert or just other stuff you want. Like it could be a relationship or like if you're like me and you're stuck at home and it's like 104 out cause it's a Florida summer and it's 2 AM and, and you're seeing like these characters who they travel all over the world. They don't need a passport, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they just, they can do anything. The, the, the sky's the limit. They have these cool cars and like, 
they're showing these jerks what for you know that that's something that really appeals to me and i think that's a lot of the appeal for me too in why i chose like writing lupon and i still do 20 years later mm -hmm. my gosh like i'm still into something from when i was like 14 because like chris knows me heck <laughs> which thank <laughs> you for that um <laughs> I'm going to have trouble getting my head through the door on the way out after this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of what I wrote came from wish fulfillment. Yeah. And I'm examining that more now with, um, with my thesis. Cause I'm, I'm using what I wrote for my homework, uh, like a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think you call Lupin's it cheating. I call it living the dream. Thank mm -hmm. you. I call it both. Um, <laughs> um, and I think that's a lot of the appeal of Lupin, just not in general of fan fiction, but of, of people who, who like it. You know, you have these cool cars, you have like, you have a people who are over 30 and have a solid group of friends. My God. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> who can continually hang out together. I don't know if you guys ever like try to get a D and D campaign going. Oh man. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You get what I mean. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a solid friend group over 30. That's the dream enough. Oh, God, yes. Again, <laughs> Jesus Christ's real miracle was not turning water into wine. His real miracle was having 12 best friends at 30. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so, I feel like it's worth pointing out, though, that uh, Lupin III essentially started as fanfic to begin with. Yeah. Well, you're very. You know, crossover yeah. fanfic that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you are not wrong. <laughs> yeah, the very first chapter is crossing over the works of uh, Maurice LeBlanc, uh, Rampo Edagawa, and then whoever wrote Hey Jesus and Agata. Um, Kogoro Akechi. No, not Kogoro Akechi. Um, oh, I had his name on the tip of my head. I'll, it'll come back to me. But but yeah, like I, I had this little mini, um, not argument, but more like a little mini discussion with Guillaume um, months ago about Lupin the Third essentially being fan fiction. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't he wasn't too down with that because there wasn't a fandom for it, so it couldn't classify as fan fiction. But I told him, well think about it like this. George R. R. Martin wrote fanzines in the late 60s for Marvel and DC comics because yeah. he really loved the stories. And even though a lot of it was his own characters, it was fan fiction. What Monkey Punch did is fan fiction because he utilized a character that wasn't his, was a fan mm -hmm. of Maurice LeBlanc and Alexandre Dumas, and created this story. Yes, he filed off the serial numbers and didn't talk to um, the Maurice LeBlanc estate, but does it really matter at this point? Fan fiction goes way back. Like, mm -hmm. it just has a different medium. It just has a different way of being expressed now. Mm -hmm. Um you have George R. R. Martin. Also think of um who is it, Catherine Ironwood. Yeah. Who um wrote the lesser book of uh Vishanti for Doctor Strange. I she yes, was doing yes. that in the seventies. You had um You have Naomi Novak. Doing, yeah. You had people who, who were doing Spock Kirk. Mm-hmm. And all the people who were writing on Live Journal, um fan fiction to Anne Rice's um interview with a vampire, and they were getting like DMCAs constantly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, uh, you can also go, you know, back to uh, uh, people writing, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes fanfic. Like back in, mm -hmm. 
you know, Doyle's day. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's well, one of the reasons he brought the character back, if I'm not mistaken. was because other people were writing him. I'm going to be a bad lit nerd, but isn't the Iliad, like, just technically fan fiction of the Odyssey? Essentially, yeah. I mean, yeah. even um, even Medea, the um, the Greek play, based on, like, the um, how Jason of the Argonauts, like, fucked over his wife and, and she gets her revenge on him, was was fan fiction of Jason and the Argonauts. It was like mm-hmm. the, it was like the, the conclusion to Jason and Medea's marriage, not written yeah. by the original writer. Yeah. So like saying it hasn't existed, the name might've not always ex- existed, but the spirit of it and the practice of it has existed a lot longer than just the internet or mm-hmm. even just zines or even just Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something that goes back generations and monkey punch was just doing something very similar. You know, we just became a lot more aware of it when we got fun things like copyright law and the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, going back off of that, you have to also think about it like this. Um, in the theater classes that I took, they always tell you there's only like 12 original stories in the world. All the stories that have come after it have been deviations or mm-hmm. retellings using the same characters and tropes, which is why like, like, I love Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera is essentially the story of Hades and Persephone, yeah. but with a horror, but with more of a horror element. So, and and now that we're getting into the era of not just the internet, but also of companies like swallowing copyrights, like the Walt Disney Company, mm-hmm. to the point where you cannot write. It, it, it is becoming difficult to write original works because at the end of the day, a lot of original works steam stem from tropes. And or stories that were told before that. Oh no. Uh oh. Did we lose her? Don't know. Hey everyone, so sorry about that. I mentioned Starlight Express and the feed died on itself. It's like, no, you're not doing this. Bridge too far. (laughs) (laughs) So we're back. I'm so sorry to the people who hosted me. This has been fun. I understand. (laughs) I I brought ill will. So are we saying Starlight Express is basically like Candlejack where, you know. Yeah. (laughs) That's so wild because it's like a a roller skating musical and it's Thomas the Tank Engine fan fiction, essentially, where they scratched off the numbers because they told him he couldn't use the characters. Yeah. But but no, going back to the core of just fan fiction itself and what. Um, Lucy and I were talking about about that whole wish fulfillment and how fan fiction is wish fulfillment. Um, I see it a lot. Okay, so we got to talk about if we're going to talk about fandom, we do need to talk about modern Lupin fandom. And this isn't a dig at the Lupin fandom. God knows we've done a lot of minor digs when it came to criticisms about part six and whatnot. Um, Drew will concur. But um, when I notice fan fiction, especially because a lot of things have moved from fanfiction.net to AO3, um, mm-hmm. when I notice a lot of fan fiction for Lupin, I love how we're, we're we're in the realm of like where heterosexual couplings are in the minority, and it's mostly like you know there, there's more of the gay interpretations of the characters. Yeah. Um, because at the core of it, it is queer representation. So. Mm-hmm. Like, I love when I do read a good fan fiction, whether it's like Lupin or Jigen or like Jigen and Goemon or Zenigata and Lupin's also one of the most popular ones. But like yeah. what, what we've written in terms of like our wish fulfillment, like we both agree our wish fulfillment was Lupin the fourth characters because we yeah. wanted a new generation. And when I think about my wish fulfillment with my characters, 
it's really at the core of what you can do with the Lupin gang. Cause I've talked about this before on the show that you could do a Lupin story anywhere, provided you have the five main cast. Mm-hmm. You have the polycule. There's a story. So you could do it. Even Goemon's negotiable. If you look at some of the live, like the live action movies, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in one of them, but he yeah. is in one of them. And it was um... the bad one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was in the bad one. <laughs> oh, the sleepy Afic- time one. Aficionados, Chris is not going to like that. <laughs> the sleepy time tea. Um, melatonin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's very engaging for the eyelids. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, quote, to quote Reed Nelson. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Oh goodness. <laughs> Although he was talking about lucidness of the fog. That's beside the point. Still works. Mm. Lucidness to the fog is like a night terror for me. But anyway, oh. it could be worse. It could be Princess of the Breeze, uh. where you're just like, "Fuck no!" <laughs> uh, and I'm so sorry for anyone who's fans of these. Please, <laughs> again, hey, end hey, of the hey, day. Hey. I'm not. Here's end how you I'm day. not sorry. I mean, <laughs> end of the day, I'm just happy to have new content. Y'all don't realize how like much of a desert it was. Talk to like one of the Adult Swim fans. It was yes. bad. <laughs> hey here's the thing this is how you know lucy and our best friends because i tell her i don't understand the dig because when, when we were younger i did not understand the digs of return of return of pie cal until i got older and she would just look at me like why do you like return of pie cal <laughs> i wouldn't say it but my eyes would say a lot you know <laughs> like that thing where like you tell your mom something and she wants to be supportive but you can tell like the disappointments there <laughs> hey 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 it's my version it's my lupon version of the room okay like get on my level <laughs> well no actually that's pretty apt i was gonna argue with you but no that that works <laughs> oh goodness I think we mentioned Return of Pycal and it just died. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, a, I have a, a bootleg of Return of Pycal somewhere. I need to just like go burn. You'll never buy yeah. the Blu-ray that was released. I have it. I didn't. I wasn't happy, but I have it. <laughs> it's, a, it it's a good Blu-ray. They put a lot of. They really. It turns out you can polish a turd. It's still a turd, but it's still, it's like, it's as shiny as it will be. Like, I I will admit, the remaster is very nice on it. That's about it. It it makes the fourth CGI look better. I bought it because I know someone, like, put a lot of work into that, and they were going to get my dollar. It was for them, not for that story. Just give it one second. I think they'll come back. I'm here. God, you just bring up cursed things, you know? I heard half a sentence. I did too. Take well, three and we, action. We mentioned Pykel and God struck us down. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Once again, God's I'm like, surely no. going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the cursed episode. <laughs> Maybe we should just call it that the cursed. No. No, no. The cursed episode was uh, rainy days are dangerous. Oh, uh, my God. Yes, yes. That was the one we had. To rec- How many times did we have to record that one? Was it three? Three times. Three times. Three, three separate hours. recordings. <laughs> I love y'all, and but I'd be was... making a trip to Taco Bell in between that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you want well, me to I get mean, Taco I mean, Bell. It was, Damn it. I mean, it, was, it wasn't all the same day, if that helps. Yeah. yeah. I, I get snacky. <laughs> um. <laughs> I need to buy you a shirt with that panda that says feeling snacky. Yeah. Well, to finalize it, um, 
I mean, in terms of like talking about this episode and even fan fiction, didn't you point out something in the server, Lucy, about the books or at least like what Goemon was referencing with his lines? Yeah, he was referring, um, I don't know if it was the lines so much, but a lot of the imagery, it was um, Kenji Miyazawa, who's an author from um, Japan in like the 20s. But mm-hmm. I don't think that was published until 1934. The book was, um, mm-hmm. God, is it Night on the Galactic Railroad? So, which not a particularly romantic one to me, but um, the main character's father in it, from what I recall, is a fisherman who's away. So, that was a cool touch to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's just conjecture, but I saw, you know, a train that was like full of stars and it's Goemon. You know, he likes his classic lit. I think he was like reading a uh, Miyamoto Masashi earlier in the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I was trying to, when I rewatched the episode with Aficionado Chris, the server, I was trying to see the books that he was looking at in the bookstore going back to that whole literary thing that we had with part with the first part of um, the first half of part six. I was like, are they going back with literary references this time? Yeah. They very much like lit references in this series. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this, they overplayed it with the first half of part six. I feel let's do the killers. You mean based on the killers? I mean, the killers. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to, we're not going to add references to the killers. We're literally just going to do the killers in the diner by Ernest Hemingway. What? God bless. God bless. And it ended up being one of the best episodes of the series so far. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, my friend, um, Leela pointed that out to me. Like I wasn't familiar with the, I, I'm not too familiar with Hemingway in spite of being a Floridian, which I think is sacrilege. <laughs> yeah. Um, I talk a lot. I'm more on the Faulkner side of that war. But she pointed out that, like, yeah, this is the killers. So I have to give her props for that. <laughs> I have two wisecracks to make real quick. And I couldn't really find a place to do it. <laughs> Go for one, it. The first one being referred to uh, what Jean and Glamour were doing on the pier as being hook, line, and sucker. Hmm. Because they didn't get anything. Mm-hmm. And the second one... <laughs> Why does the mermaid wear seashells? Because she outgrew her B-shells. Um, Tish. <laughs> also, where'd she find a, a, a giant like vase, a seashell bra, and like what I'm assuming is a K-cup and a tail that short notice? <laughs> That's a good question. That's a very good question. Especially if this is considered a boring town, I don't think there'd be any store, like any stores that sell mermaid tails, let alone, um, what do you call it, um, craft stores with K-shells and or an Amazon f- warehouse facility nearby. I'm in like the third largest city in Florida and I can't find ramen right now. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I would bet money that there is one overenthusiastic like glass blower in that town who when they like presented them with like we need the vase this big he's like my life's work I got you I got you <laughs> this is my masterpiece this is gonna be this is gonna be like my La Pieta <laughs> it's like it's like oh you don't know how long I've been waiting to hear someone say that <laughs> in fact I've got one in the back <laughs> yeah someone just had a wedding cancelled <laughs> yeah it's like one of those eternity sand things you know they're like what the hell am i gonna do with this oh thank god <laughs> also i don't know i don't know if this really stands anybody else but 
what's her name? Uh, Muru mentioning her mother at the end. Mm. What did that have to do oh. with anything? Well, uh, her mother was mentioned a little bit in the beginning, probably mm-hmm. as part of the fisherman's crew. Um, but obviously, I, I have a feeling, like myself, Muru comes from a latchkey family where, you know, both of her parents work, so she's left to her own devices. Mm-hmm, and obviously, right. she's not like, what do you call it? She's not bitter about that. She she thinks her mom is a badass. So I think that's why, yeah. like, when she was coming up right, with her yeah. story, with her other story about Fujiko, she's like, she's probably a badass, just like my mom. I guess I must have mentioned, I guess I must have missed the uh, mention of her earlier. Okay, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that context helps out a lot. Mm-hmm. This kind of threw yeah. me for a loop when I first watched it. Yeah, and if you know kids who come from fishing families, you know that's very like common. Mm-hmm. Where it's right. like they okay. are away from the family, so it's like it is what it is. Yeah. But like their parents are badasses, you know. Um you see that a little bit in Ponyo. Yes. And also um you see that in Luca with um with what's her name again? The little I forgot the little girl's name. But um her dad is a fisherman. And also Night on the Galactic Railroad, the main character Giovanni, his dad's a fisherman who's away. Mm-hmm. And historically, I'm from San Francisco, you know, not, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. And I looked into this, but famous baseball player Joe DiMaggio, who grew up in San Francisco, his father was um, a fisherman at Fisherman's Wharf to the point where one of the things he talked about that he hated about his childhood was waking up super early at four in the morning to join his dad on the fishing boats where the sm- where it smelled so bad. He was like, I got to get fucking out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great. Now now I've got a John the Fisherman by Primus stuck in my head. <laughs> I really want a fish sandwich. Happy Lent, everybody, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on that note. <laughs> um, do we have any, any other thoughts before we conclude to final thoughts? <laughs> do we think Jigen can play a piano? Is like that like canon? Because I'll accept it. All I can tell you is this, sure, and, and, and Lucy, you know this, um, but I've written that fan fiction with not yeah. Jigen playing, but, you know, Suiza playing. And they're both on the piano because I'm a hopeless romantic and God damn it. <laughs> I have a spec script somewhere where he actually does that. They're like, you have to play. And he sits down and starts playing and everyone's like, what the hell? And he's like, I had to take lessons for a year. <laughs> Just kind of like a, Chris- a Christopher Walken can tap dance kind of moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, we both came that. up with the we both came up with the head that he can sing like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, no, that he likes singing it, not that he can. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's very different. <laughs> I can sing it. Doesn't mean I can. Um, <laughs> that's two oh, very goodness. different skills. <laughs> oh boy. Oh lord. Oh, oh. I think. Um, one detail I liked about it before I get to the concluding thought, I have one detail I liked is that I love the implication that one day when they're both old and tired of doing heists, Jigen and Goemon are just going to become two old buddies fishing on a pier. Like they're already starting to kind of yeah. teeter towards that in this episode where they're like, there's nothing to do in this town. Smash cut to fishing. Like, you know what? Mm-hmm. They would do that. Um, they would. Another thing I'm going to touch on, I won't get too much into it because I'm, uh, I just have to also feel Stop licking my foot. I have to um, uh, fulfill the quota <laughs> of... That's, that's the dog, boy. Um, that's the dog! <laughs> yeah, yeah, to clarify. Uh, <laughs> um, to fulfill our quota of um, picking on part five again, 
I appreciated this episode's like um hey, this is this is a tricky subject. It it's perspective on on, you know, fanfic and shipping because it was a very uncynical, very sweet portrayal mm-hmm. of it where the gang went along with it, as opposed to again, it was two offhand gags in part five, but like the gag of of Lupin showing Jigen, like, you know, ooh, like, you know, who's this guy? It could be Lupin's lover. And then Jigen reacting, like, vehemently, like, angry. Or, like, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the, the gay panic, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. where it's like... And then, like, the the fireside chat with um, Ami. Zenigata. Like, yeah, it was Zenigata. And Zenigata also having, you know, the gay panic and, like, pulling a gun. On Lupin and me getting very cynical for a minute, and I'm so sorry to get this cynical, but like, I, I part of me wonders if they like didn't portray it as that because it was too uh hetero shipping like thing. So they're like, oh no, this is cute, but this other one, ugh. but honestly, it's two different sets of writers. I don't even want to like, I, I don't want to accuse someone of like. Because it could be completely subconscious and like not intentional, and it's not the same writer, so I don't want to be, you know, too. But it is kind of like mm, part five. Yeah, I think it's kind of apples to oranges mm-hmm. sort of situation where it is very different writers. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think also like what constitute hu- constitutes humor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like is is different contextually, like between cultures and between time periods and like in terms of who needs to catch up to what, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. I wasn't too big a fan on either of those gags either. Trust me. Mm-hmm. I, I am a openly queer person. So I'm like, Oh man, come on, be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did like in part six, like the episode zero with Jigen where it was basically like, Hey, like him and Lupin have some kind of relationship, but we can't even put a name on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. they got very close, you know, mm-hmm. and that's another thing I'm like super grateful for because I never thought I'd have that, and I haven't seen them get that close since part two when they were doing like around episode 100 with um oh gosh what's their face it was the crossover episode of Rose of Versailles uh, Rose of Versailles yeah and I I thought that was very oh, interesting yeah. that they got very close in the set they got very close in the 70s with bringing that up even mm-hmm. um and I think that reflects a lot on the culture of the time where it was getting closer to being acceptable and if you guys do an episode all on this I'd, I'd love to be back mm-hmm. um because queer representation and fandom is kind of my um top area of interest I was mm-hmm. um uh, Natalie mentioned loop on the fourth characters and I actually was writing um, queer loop on the fourth characters in mm-hmm. like 2004, 2005. <laughs> so that was, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And was it very... wasn't, and it wasn't revolutionary or anything. Again, I mentioned yeah. earlier that fan fiction is the rare arena. And I mean this, it's the rare arena where heterosexual couplings are, are in the majority. A lot of the stories are queer stories. Um, yeah. And well, with your stories, that one of the things that I loved about your stories, especially as a 12, 13-year-old girl who was really questioning her own sexuality, I told you I came out pretty early. I came out when I was 15, mm-hmm. um, as what I thought was bi, but I didn't feel like it fit me very well until mm-hmm. I found out about pansexuality. And I was like, oh, yeah, that totally fits me. But, and I've told, I've told Lucy this before. Her stories totally helped me out on that. So, And that <laughs> means a lot, but 
I ended up coming out at 29. Um, I, I, I helped myself last. <laughs> <laughs> the and context like, is even funnier when you hear the story. <laughs> yeah, it was a Donnie and Marie Osmond concert at the Strawberry <laughs> Festival. Um, my timing is impeccable. Yes. <laughs> um, and then to my brother, it was after the team flag football meet during my sister-in-law when I was making her a grilled cheese. <laughs> and my mother told my father and she's like i told him the brownies you made they're mine now i did the heavy lifting for you um, <laughs> but um i i would like to see like lupon like head in more of a it makes me wonder if it had been created now what like it, it would have been like in terms of queer representation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think a lot of it is it has 50 60 years of baggage to it and I think if you were making it a series out of the gate now, it'd be a very different tune. I think they're getting as close as they can comfortably. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's done a lot more respectfully than in the past because you have characters like Albert. Mm -hmm. who, um, oh, yes, my boy. Yeah, who I, it's not part of his character, but I almost wish we'd like get more of him. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I think we are seeing more positive queer representation, but I don't think it's necessarily enough. But I think it's partially because we're working with a series that's so old and it's like kind of like James Bond, where if you want to do anything that's kind of like um, revolutionary, you kind of have to go in baby steps because you're dealing not only with a series, but a franchise, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that comes from like the corporate level, unfortunately, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and getting into like corporate decisions and things. Um like, trust me, I would love Idris Elba as the next James Bond. Yeah. But we already know that brings up murky waters with the fandom. And also, Ian Fleming was a notable racist. And um, yeah, Ian Fleming was a notable racist. And also, canonically, James Bond is half Swiss, half Scottish. I'm not saying there are not any, um, there are not any Black people in Switzerland or Scotland. I've been to Switzerland. I've seen some. I mean, there's a, there's a great community but this is where it gets into murky waters with the fandom like uh and it's like mm. uh, i've, I, I've got it. my future james bond hot takes idris elba is too old cast daniel kaluuya you cowards <laughs> they, they had sean connery playing him at how old come on uh, like 50 roger moore well, that, that, uh, um um sean connery ended like in his early 40s it was roger moore who played him up until 58 yeah. god bless him okay yeah, yeah. That, you're that right, old you're man. right. roger you're right. moore I I roger moore like could have played james bond and like shot an aarp commercial in the afternoon oh yeah by the end of it. so <laughs> that, that was actually like his on when he was filming a view to a kill he like realized he's like i was talking to the lead actress about you know i could be her grandfather now decided to leave <laughs> he was like i don't like this anymore <laughs> it's time to go yeah so but daniel kaluuya mm -hmm. my man <laughs> yeah i want to see the series continue to move forward with its representation i think it's just um a little bit slower because mm -hmm. one it's a different culture we're talking about we're talking it from the point of view of four people from like western culture and this is like something seeped in eastern culture even though it has a lot of western influences to it and i i think like it'll represent itself differently due to yeah. that you know and i think mm -hmm. that's something to take into account but i like even having some representation and i do hope we get there someday and 
I really want to see like a queer character like this. I would love that. Like a, a queer James Bond, a queer, the closest I get is transporter with Jason Statham who played the character as um gay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's more of my wish fulfillment is I just want to see badass queer characters. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I kind of want it to be that. Cause I'm a dweeb. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't, no, no, I don't really say am. that. Oh, I, I really am. How dare it's you? Okay. That's my best friend you're talking about. No, she's like a total nerd. It's okay. Um, That's okay. Join the club. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm here. I'm here discussing like an anime in like a shirt from like a Steve Martin, Martin short production um, <laughs> that I watch with my mother and she bought me this shirt because she's also my best friend. Um, oh, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, for those of us, you know, for the listeners that can't see this, I'm wearing a shirt depicting the Comics Code seal of approval. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're all nerds here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Indeed. Meanwhile, underneath my San Francisco sweater, I am wearing one of my Lupin shirts because so, laundry day. Wear my Bebop no, shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> more, yes, more queer representation. I know I put the queer representation. Positive. Yeah, positive queer mm. representation. I put that in my loop on the fourth story because, yeah. yeah, queerness. I mean, I even put it in my loop on the third story because I do believe, canonically, my headcanon is polycule. They're getting mm. it on with one another on the, on the Lolo. Oh, even Zenigata joins in. They're cool with it. <laughs> How they explain <laughs> it to their kids in my loop on the fourth story is actually pretty hilarious. No. Um, yeah, and that's the freedom of fan fiction where you get mm-hmm. to do stuff like that and see. Yeah. You're, you're just like Maru, you know? Yeah. Full you're circle. looking yeah. at him like, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Again, my life is a flat circle. Yeah. My loop on the fourth character, Ayame. Isn't, isn't Uncle Jigen like dad's ex-boyfriend or something? <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's but. see. So before we wrap up the show for tonight, um, I uh, have a, a, a proposition for the, the three of you. As you know, in the uh, hmm. the episode we just watched, the, uh, there were three characters who had to, you know, perform a, uh, you know, a, a dramatic priest no. to, prove, to, to prove that they could, you know, understand the meaning of love. Well, I, I'm going to do a bit of an inverse of that tonight because today I was approached by a little Swiss boy named Guillaume who was <laughs> wanting to know... What the true meaning of what the true meaning of love was. So, so he has written a little piece. That I will read aloud, and instead of you know three 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 people reading to one, I will be one person reading to three and have you judge if he understands the meaning correctly. So, let me just unfold this here. <clears throat> Hello again, Lopantic folks. Welcome back to Ladies' Night and our review of episode twenty-one of Lupin the Third, Part Six. We have yet another standalone episode on our hands, with Lupin, Fujiko and the gang stuck in a small island town while the bridge is being repaired. With nothing better to do, they try to capture legendary mermaid fish until they can get out of town. But a young woman named Muro, filled with wanderlust and dreams, will make things more interesting for the gang. You understand, dear audience, that this is a bottle episode. The kind of filler where we stay in the same place and the writer just has fun writing the characters without too many stakes. Mermaids are nothing new to the franchise, going back to part one up to the TV special Eternal Mermaid. Even Monkey Punch drew a few mermaid Fujikos. 
You could say mermaid motifs are just as recurring as guns, car chases, sideburns, or cigarettes in the show. What makes this episode stand out is Maru. Living in a small fishing community can be boring, but she escapes from it through art and storytelling. Observing the gang, especially Fujiko, from a distance, Muru weaves a story in her mind where Jigen the dandy and Goemon the student both try to call Fujiko the madam. The contrast between the real characters and what Muru imagines them to be is the selling point of this episode, as it makes for hilarious situations with Jigen and Goemon spewing poetry and sappy dialogue. Lupin, stuck in a neck brace, tries his best to find the mermaid and gives his own version of what love means to Maru, who then decides to bring the three men to the same spot where they read her text to Fujiko disguised as a mermaid. The ending is a bit of a non-conclusion since nothing is truly gained nor lost, but it can be seen as a conclusion to Maru's fantasy. At least until she dreams up a new fantasy where Fujiko is basically James Bond. Topical, ain't it? My co-host wasted no time in making the comparison with fanfic writers and fan artists, and I could not agree more. Muru, like many creative fans, is a loner with dreams needing an escape to make life less mundane. She watches the gang like she watches a show, interprets things her own way that may be entirely self-projection, and creates her own story based on what she gets or doesn't get from the show. The humor of it all comes with a difference between the real show and the one inside the fan's head. We know a lot of passionate people in fandom who have very strong feelings and opinions about a show that are not really based on anything objective. This can, of course, turn into a toxic trait, but here it's made for laughs and it works. I absolutely lost it at Jigen and Goemon doing their best to read Maru's prose, with Akio Otsuka and Daisuke Namikawa having a blast at doing something so out of character. It's like a fan fulfilling their dream of making Richard Epcar and Lex Lang read their slash fic. Overall, yet another okay episode, with nothing groundbreaking but one that stays true to its simple yet hilarious concept. I enjoyed it. Until next time, stay safe, Lupantic folks, and remember, writing fiction is like chasing mermaids. Whether it's real or not, it is still worth pursuing. Next time, another standalone episode has us meet a lonely woman waiting in the snow. Hmm, cryptic. This means only episodes 23 and 24 are left to end the main story, just like the Holmes arc was concluded in a double episode. Some might have gripes with that pace, but let us see how things turn out. You can find me on Twitter at William Barbey, B-A-B-E-Y, on Deventart and ArtStation as Shin Red Deer, S-H-I-N-R-E-D-D-E-A-R, and you can even commission me or send me a tip on my coffee, also under Shin Red Deer. Oh, Guillaume, that was really wonderful. Though for me, the meaning of love will always be, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
as quoted by the uh, great poet Hathaway. Yes. <laughs> the 80s well, were question... a different time. Or was it the 90s? <laughs> 90s. 1780s? Was that like a... Or no, 1880s, like an Edwardian piece? I don't know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I specialize in American lit. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, what's love got to do with it? Oh, that's a good we're just, one. We're just going to continue the, the song references all night. So before we fall down that rabbit hole... Um, I mean, I do anything for love. But, <laughs> but, <I'm> but, now- <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> as, we're, as we're wrapping up, uh, Lucy, where can we find you on the uh, the social medias? Okay, um, Instagram. Oops, all towers, no dashes or anything. So that's about it for me right now. Um, I believe I'm on Ao3 as J Lucy Daisuke. I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus for school right now. Just look me up on Instagram under oops, all towers, no dashes or anything altogether words. And I could lead you to my other social medias from there. Um, after August, my soul will no longer be owned by my thesis. So I will be getting along more with the fan fiction and also working on some original work. I've been, um, you know, just chipping away at but that deals more into like theology and stuff. And if you guys Ooh. ever have that episode, let me know because that's cars, <laughs> theology. Let's see. And so uh, Natalie, where can we find you on the social mm-hmm. media? Of course you can find me on the Twitters at Kapli Helsing, C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Um, same for Instagram, but it's Captain Lee Helsing. Um, I haven't posted much on there mainly because of grad school. Again, I want another grad degree after this. Why am I such a fucking masochist? But I won't be a slave to classes um, after after late May. So I'll be back probably posting stories and maybe for my travel looks again, I'm either going to go to Florida and definitely going to Kentucky this summer. So we'll see. <laughs> I'll have to go to WikiWatchy to see the mermaids. Yes. Um, because planning to go see Lucy in Florida, it's like, now I want to go see Wikiwatchies. Like, let's do it. <laughs> and just write Heck fan yeah. fiction. Let's just look at the mermaids and come up with fan fiction. I think I'm <laughs> friends with one of them, so it might be weird. Um, <laughs> I went to high school with one of them. I don't know if she still does that, but yeah. For a we'll while, I went see. to high school with one of the mermaids. Florida's <laughs> a weird place. Um, everything you've heard is true and more. <laughs> Florida man with his chicky tendy pub sub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, so Chris, where can we find you on the social media? Uh, well, let's see. I'm on Twitter at Doctor Furball. D R F U R B A W L. I'm on Instagram at Amazing Chris Godby. I'm also that's G O D B E Y. A few other places. I'm. I have that name as well. And you can find my comics at uh, weirdinacan.com and drawocoward.com. Nice. Let's see. And so you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. And you can find our podcast on Twitter at LupinPod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. You can find us on Instagram at the same at, and uh, you can listen to our show on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to scroll on down there and uh, 
if you if you if you're in the mood for it, give us a five star rate and review. You know, subscribe, like, hit that like button. You know, all the all that shit. You know, you know the drill. All that jazz. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> the opinions of strangers mean a lot to me, so please give it five stars. Now that I've been on here, exactly. Give us validation. <laughs> give us validation for the sake and of our validation. of our esteemed guests. <laughs> yes, and on and on that note, I do want to thank um, Lucy for joining us. Not just because she's one of my mm-hmm. dearest and oldest bestest friends, but also just because, um, yeah, it, it's always fun to talk Lupin with with friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Again, Indeed coming to, again, legit Drew coming to Jesus moment. If it wasn't for Lucy, I probably would have never met you guys because Lucy invited me to that Lupin server when I met her in 2019. Aww. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Glad it worked out so well. <laughs> the cornerstone of this group. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the trifecta has been has been accomplished. <laughs> I'm like that one where you go back and you like all all rock musician is like goes back to one like one lady with a guitar and it's like oh <laughs> <laughs> but, but but with you with you it's a banjo. Yeah. Yeah. I also she, play a banjo. Yeah. Yeah, she plays banjo like Harold and Harold and Maud. <laughs> nice. I thought it would make me popular with the girls and yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and on that note, Luponta yes. folks, stay safe, stay healthy, and good night. <laughs> good night. Bye. <laughs> Sideburns and cigarettes. Maybe it's cold outside. No, seriously, it's freezing. I just saw a dog. I like dogs. Hope this dog's worth, you know, sacrificing the episode of the main story for. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, <laughs> next week's episode, we find a dog that was trained by Tomoe. <laughs>